It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast, city to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Thursday morning. Welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you here for the next two hours. On this Thursday morning, we get you locked and loaded for conference championship weekend in college football and week number 13 in the NFL. Wow, more and more big news keeps on flowing, and we think, reportedly at least, Notre Dame is making their next head coaching hire. They are replacing Brian Kelly, which, when we were back here on Monday's show, was the head coach of Notre Dame a few hours later. After we kind of hung up uh, their microphone, if you will, for Monday, Brian Kelly makes it uh, known he is going to LSU Bolts in a very surprising, for me, even more surprising move than Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma for USC. Totally, totally shocked to get into that decision by Brian Kelly to leave Notre Dame for LSU and also Notre Dame's decision to hire what it looks to be Marcus Freeman, their defensive coordinator as the next head coach. We'll get to that here in a second, but also a ton to get into because guess what? This is the final weekend of college football. We have been talking about this since early August. Who will make the college football playoff? What teams can can make a, a Cinderella run? Which teams are kind of on upset alert and maybe a little overrated? Well, now we have finally gotten to the point where we have one weekend left. One more game left. One more data point, as the committee loves to say, to see which teams will get in, which teams should be left out. And then heading into conference championship weekend, I think four teams control their destiny where they win and they're in. And of those four teams, Cincinnati isn't one. I'll explain why that is as well. The Los Angeles Rams, we didn't talk about them too much on Monday's show with a lot going on, but obviously they have some issues. Three games in a row now they have lost, especially last week coming out of the bye. Simple solution. I, at least I, in my mind, have a simple solution for how they can get back on track and how they will be able to right the wrong, get back into the Super Bowl contender list uh, or, con- yeah, Super Bowl contender category. So we'll get into that. And, of course, it's a Thursday. We have our Hickey's Pickies, as we always do. Nick McCool, my guy, will be joining us, a so-called music savant. He has made fun of me for my Spotify wrapped top five list. If you're a Spotify user, obviously you know that is always a fun time of the year when you see the most listened to songs, most listened to artists. Well, my top five came out yesterday, and he thought it was the worst, literally quote for quote, worst I've ever seen in history. So we'll get into that as well at 1020 Eastern. We are coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, where it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. So let's get into it. Notre Dame makes the hire. Reportedly, they will make Marcus Freeman the next head coach officially within the next day or so. But that's where the reports are out there that Marcus Freeman is going to be the new head coach. Tommy Reese, the current offense coordinator, will stay on board and you know remain as, uh, in his current position with Notre Dame as well. Now, my reaction to that is this. I think Notre Dame made the wrong move. For me, my number one target would have been Luke Fickle, the Cincinnati head coach. So now if Notre Dame either didn't reach out to Fickle, they were impatient, didn't want to wait for Luke Fickle to finish up what could be likely 
will be a run to the college football playoff. Or they had Freeman as their number one choice ahead of Luke Fickle. I think they were wrong. I think they made a big-time mistake in not having Luke Fickle become their next head coach of Notre Dame. Now, if he's not interested, that's a different story. Right now, there are no reports out there saying he wasn't interested, that he was offered the job and turned it down, or didn't even want to be in consideration. As we know, he did not sign a contract extension with Cincinnati where every other coach that's been in the market, whether it's Mark Stoops, whether it's James Franklin, whether it's Mel Tucker, every big-time head coaching name that's been rumored to be a, you know, a possible candidate for another job has either left or signed an extension to stay with their current school. Since, uh, Cincinnati's Luke Fickle has done neither. I mean, he's still there, but he hasn't signed a contract extension yet to stay with the Bearcats. So he plausibly, okay, he still has you know, an excuse to leave. And rumors are, reports are, that the two jobs he covets the most, the two jobs he would leave Cincinnati for, because remember, he was a big-time candidate at USC. His former AD at Cincinnati, the man who hired him for the Bearcats, is currently now the uh, athletic director at USC. His name is Mike Bone. So there's that connection right there. So whether Luke Fickle wasn't interested, didn't want to go, Whatever, he made it known he is going to stay at Cincinnati, not go to uh, LSU, not go to USC. But the two jobs that were reported that he was interested the most, the two jobs that he would really consider leaving Cincinnati for were Ohio State, where he was a former you know, player and also uh, interim head coach, and Notre Dame. So unless those reports are wrong, there is interest from Luke Fickle in Notre Dame. And whether, again, they didn't call, whether they didn't prioritize him as the number one candidate or whether they just didn't want to wait another month to hire their next head coach, I think Notre Dame made a mistake. Unless Luke Fickle turned them down, said, no, 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 I'm not leaving, I think Notre Dame messed up. Because I think for me, Luke Fickle is the perfect guy for the Notre Dame job. That he has built now a Cincinnati into a team that's not only a college football playoff contender from the group of five, he has built a team into a college football playoff contender in the eyes of how Notre Dame wants to build a team, right? This is not an air raid gimmicky offense where they're using a lot of, you know, trick plays where they're using a lot of deception and eye candy. This is a team that is built to be a consistent winner, right? They are a very tough team. Offensively, defensively, mentally, they are tough. They have a really good defense. They're feisty. They get after you. They mirror their head coach. You know, they're, they're intimidating. They have a really solid run game and a dynamic quarterback. That's what Notre Dame is trying to build, right? Throughout Brian Kelly's, you know, last 12 years as head coach, they've had, always had great offensive lines. They've always been able to run the ball. They always had a really good defense. Those things build sustainable winners in college football. That's what Luke Fickle has done in Cincinnati. That's what Notre Dame is looking for in the next head coach. Taking the baton from what Brian Kelly's built, taking it to the next level, I think is something Luke Fickle could have done at Notre Dame. He has a tremendous base to reach out, you know, to, to start from. Because when you look at what he took over Cincinnati, it's not like he came into Cincinnati and took over, let's say, with Josh Heupel took over with Scott Frost built a US, uh, UCF, right? When they, in 2017, they go undefeated. Scott Frost then leaves to go to uh, Nebraska. And if you're Josh Heupel, you take over a program that just went undefeated, that just, you know, beat um, Auburn in a New Year's Six Bowl. Like, you have some real talent. You have some real roots already built there. Luke Fickle took over a Cincinnati program that Tommy Tuberville, his following year there, was 4-8. So you're taking over a program that's nowhere near college football playoff contender level. And in two years, 
just two years. He went from four and eight to eleven and two. They won eleven games in year number two of Luke, of Luke Fickle's tenure. So now this is the fifth year he's been the Cincinnati head coach. Three of those years, three to five at Cincinnati, he's won eleven or more games. That's pretty consistent. And you know what? It could have been four out of the five if last year wasn't a shortened season. Right? They went nine and one last year in a condensed pandemic schedule. If they played a normal 12-game schedule, they most likely are winning another 11 games. They could be in the college football playoff. They were a really good team last year. So three out of the five years, they've won 11 or more games, and it could have been four to the five if the schedule was normal. And this year, again, barring a, a losses uh, to Houston, and assuming both Oklahoma State and Alabama both don't win, we'll get to that a little bit later on, as long as one of the three of Michigan, Alabama or Oklahoma State lose on Saturday, Cincinnati is going to the college football playoff. So I don't see, for me, how if you're Notre Dame, you can pass on a guy that has built Cincinnati up into a program that is in the elite category. I get this year they've had some help with a lot of chaos going on. But he has taken a group of five team. He has taken a Cincinnati football program and turn them into a consistent, legitimate winner, and has turned them into one of the best programs in the country. Especially, too, when you look at the Notre Dame job. There's a lot of pressure that goes along with being the head coach. There's a lot of attention that comes with being the head coach in Notre Dame. Right? It's on the same level as, in terms of attention-wise, Alabama, Texas. Like You are under the national scrutiny every single week. So for me, if I was Jack Swarbrick, the athletic director of Notre Dame, if I was part of the decision-making process at Notre Dame, I would have opted to, we'll say, take the safe route and choose someone in Luke Fickle who has proven to have uh, not only sustainable success, but build an elite program. He has done so before in five years in Cincinnati. It's not a, a one-hit wonder where he took, you know, over-programming one year and, and turn around, or Mel Tucker, let's say, in two years at Michigan State, you know, he had a down year in 2020 and this year, you know, turned around to a 10-2 and two team. This has been a guy in Luke Fickle who has built Cincinnati into a sustainable winner where, like I said before, has won 11 or more games in three out of the five years he's been on the job there. And not only has he shown to build Cincinnati into a winner, he has done so, by the way, by winning more with less. I went back to the last four recruiting cycles, right? So basically... Freshman through seniors on the team right now. Not incoming players, but right now, freshman through seniors on the team. The last four recruiting classes, Luke Fickle and Cincinnati right now have a, uh, a total of five players that were either four-star or five-star players. Right? That's really, if you look at the elite programs, if you look at Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Ohio State, all those teams have tons, dozens of four- and five-star players, that's where truly you see the separation from very good to elite teams. Luke Vickle has just five players on his roster right now that were either four- or five-star recruits heading into, you know, coming into Cincinnati. Well, when they played Notre Dame, and currently I should say at least right now Notre Dame, has 51. 51! So Luke Vickle, despite the fact that he played a team earlier this year in Notre Dame on the road that had 51 four- or five-star players compared to the five on his roster. He coached the hell out of that game. Cincinnati handled that game and won pretty easily. They won by double digits. 
The game was over by halftime. And despite the fact there was a massive talent disparity in the favor of Notre Dame, Cincinnati showed you they were the better team, and there's no doubt. Luke Fickle has been able to close the talent gap by his coaching, by his player development. So imagine if he is able to build Cincinnati into one of the top four teams in the country this year with, again, just five players that were the four or five stars uh, when they entered and when they uh, enrolled at Cincinnati coming out of high school. Imagine what he can do in Notre Dame. Imagine what he could do in terms of recruiting, in terms of roster development, in terms of output on the field. When he has 51 players on his roster that are four or five stars like Notre Dame currently has. That's 10 times the amount of talent Notre Dame has compared to Cincinnati. So if Luke Fickle can get a, a team with 10 times less talent into the college football playoff, imagine what he could do with a team that has 10 times more talent. That's for me why I think Luke Fickle would have been the perfect hire for Notre Dame. Like I said, we don't know if he was interested. We have no idea if he was offered the job, if he even took an interview, if he even wanted to think about the idea. He could have said no. He could have turned it down. And fine, Notre Dame, I think, made a great hire in Marcus Freeman. I think that's the right move to make if Luke Fickle says no. But like I said, reports are that there's two jobs Luke Fickle would have left Cincinnati for. Notre Dame, Ohio State. If Notre Dame didn't have him number one on their list, if they didn't reach out to Luke Fickle to gauge his interest, if they didn't want to wait, because now, again, you assume Luke Fickle makes the college football playoff. Listen, I don't think he's pulling a Brian Kelly. He's not leaving his program that's about to go to the college football playoff to take over the Notre Dame job. So Notre Dame would have to wait until earliest, what, January 2nd? Or I guess January 1st, technically, with with the way the schedule works where they're playing on New Year's Eve, the cultural playoff semifinals this year, you'd have to wait another month to be able to hire a head coach, which there goes the, you know, the early recruiting um, signing period is in two weeks. Obviously, you blow by that. You want a head coach in place in theory, but I would rather lose out on a recruiting class for this year and have, to me, one of the best head coaches in the country over rushing to it, getting someone else, getting a second or third choice because you want to kind of round up as many recruits for this early signing period that's coming in two weeks as possible. So that's why I think Notre Dame made a huge mistake if they didn't have their priority straight and Luke Fickle wasn't number one on their list and didn't tell them no. Speaking of mistakes, quickly, I'll get into this. Brian Kelly, I think he made a mistake going to LSU, leaving Notre Dame. Like, are we really sure? Are we really sure? LSU is closer to winning a national title than Notre Dame right now. I get the last three coaches that have been at LSU have won a national title. I get they won one just two years ago, right? Notre Dame hasn't won a national title since 1988. Well, LSU won one in, what was it, 2003, 2011, and to, uh, 2019. But when you look to Notre Dame was starting to hit their recruiting stride. They currently have the number five class in the country for 2022. They had number two for the class of 2023. Brian Kelly was really now, the last few years, starting to really build Notre Dame and get that elite talent. We just talked about before, the 51 four or five-star players on their roster currently. The recruiting is getting better. The type of quarterback they're getting is still improving. So if you're Notre Dame, you're now starting to recruit at the same level as Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, even with the academic standards aside, even without being in a conference, you are still now able to be in the top five, top seven, nationally every single year, that is good enough to win a national title at Notre Dame. I get they haven't done so, and I get, look, they made the playoff twice, right? They made the national title in 2012. Neither of those three games were close. I understand. 
So you could say Notre Dame's not really that close. I would disagree. I think they're there. I think they're close. And if you're now Brian Kelly, sure. Is it easier to get players to LSU than it is Notre Dame? Yes. Right? Louisiana itself, the state, has so much talent in it. And so do those players want to stay there. Recruiting, just recruiting in general is going to get a lot easier for Brian Kelly. So you can get more talent there, but the path to the playoff for me is harder at LSU than it is at Notre Dame. Like, right, Notre Dame's not in a conference. So most likely, they have to go undefeated, right? The two times they made the playoff, or last, last year is difficult because they were in the ACC. They were whatever it was, 10-0, and then lost to Clemson in the ACC title game, but made it anyway. But 2018, they weren't in a conference. They had to go 12-0. They did it. They made it. 2012, they had to go undefeated. They did. They made it. And Notre Dame is basically the one year they're not in a conference and they had a loss that helped them. But outside of that, they have to go basically undefeated to make the college football playoff until it expands. So I get that's a high bar to set, right? You have literally no room for error. But with that said, on the flip side, you look at LSU. Okay, so sure, you're in a conference, you're in the SEC. So you get the benefit of the doubt more than Notre Dame ever would. With that said, though, you are playing Alabama every single year. You're playing now Texas A&M, Auburn, Ole Miss. You're going to have to face Georgia. You're going to have to face Florida if they turn it around. Like You are facing a gauntlet of a schedule, even a team like Arkansas who for the most part the last decade or so has been basically a buy game, has been basically an easy win on the schedule, they're now in the top 25. LSU is in last place in the SEC West. So if you're now Brian Kelly, there's no gimmies. There's no free weeks. There's no easy wins. And if you look at his schedule, by the way, if you look at uh, what Coach O just did. Coach O just went 51-20 and 20 at LSU. He won a national title less than two years ago. He was fired. There's not a lot of patience in Baton Rouge. There's not a lot of, oh, we're 10-2. and two. That's a great season. 10-2, and two, he's getting fired. And like, if he doesn't make a cultural play by year three, Brian Kelly's going to be fired. Let's call for what it is. So for me, I think Brian Kelly made a mistake. I don't think it's easier winning a national title at LSU in the next, let's say, three years than it would be in Notre Dame. The patience, the, the, the amount of rope he gets at LSU is not going to be very long. I get they gave him a big-time contract, but we saw money's no object, especially in the SEC. I think that's going to be you know, something to watch out for. I think Brian Kelly made a mistake. But I'm curious your thoughts. Notre Dame reportedly looks to be hiring their current defense coordinator, Marcus Freeman, to be their head coach. Is it the right move? Should they have hired Luke Fickle? Should they have made Luke Fickle say no? Or would you like to hire? Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your thoughts. And speaking of the college role playoff, which is what Luke Fickle has his Cincinnati Bearcats at, do they control their own destiny? So me, only four teams this weekend in conference championship weekend have a win and they're in the playoff. Cincinnati is not one of those teams. I will explain next. You'll listen to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Yeah, now we're vibing right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is not in my Spotify top five, but this is a total banger. Rihanna, the queen. Speaking of Spotify wrapped, one hour from now, Hickey's Pickies with my guy Nick McCool. One of my good friends from Penn State, a sports genius, 
But also, not just that, he's a music savant. No, no joke. This guy listens to music all the time. He knows what he's talking about. He doesn't just also, he's my age, he's 27, he doesn't know just, you know, the current stuff. The Jay-Z's, the Rihanna's, the Kanye's, the Drake's. He loves classical, well, not classical music, but older rock. 80s, 90s, 70s. He's a musician. He's a music historian, we'll say. And he hates, absolutely hates my Spotify top five. We'll explain what that is or, or why that is. Got to teach him a lesson. For someone who knows music so well, I really do hate to have to teach him a lesson. Um, but we will do that in an hour from now in Hickey's Pickens. But before that, we are talking college football. We are talking Notre Dame making their hire. They are set to hire the defensive coordinator, Marcus Freeman, to become their next head coach. Luke Fickle will not get the job. Luke Fickle about to lead his team to the college football playoff. I want to get to the college football playoff. Um, destiny, teams that control their destiny and why Cincinnati is not one of those teams here. In one second, we did get some feedback, right? And you can comment on the show anytime, whether it's on Facebook, Worldwide Sports on Air, because you can type in, click on the live stream, and boom, the comment section is right there. Twitter at WWSRN underscore radio, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Both those Twitter handles where you can tweet at me, read your comment on the air, or go watch the live stream of the show right there on Twitter and also comment um, on the live stream of Twitter, which is what my guy Matt Genentino does. My ties go to them. Great current high school football coach Matt is, and also big-time Notre Dame fan. He was saying, because we're talking about for me, at least I think Luke Fickle would have been the perfect head coach for Notre Dame. He's a guy that's won more with less. He's a guy that turned Cincinnati around from a 4 and a program when he inherited them to now they have three, uh, three seasons out of five he's been there with 11 or more wins. He has not only success, sustained success. I think for me, he is the perfect guy to take Notre Dame to the next level, to take them to that elite championship winning level, right? Because Brian Kelly took them to a spot where they can make the college football playoff, where they can make a national title game. So it's not just cracking that ceiling. Now it's about winning a game, advancing to the national championship, beating Alabama, beating Ohio State, beating Clemson, beating Georgia. That is the next level this program has to go to, and I think Luke Fickle would have been the perfect guy to take the job. But like I said, reports are it's going to be Marcus Freeman. Matt does chime in. They need a big-time quarterback to come in, and that Notre Dame always have linemen, tight ends consistently, and he's right. And that's for me, talking about big-time quarterbacks coming, because Matt is right, really, especially we see in college football. That is where now the elite teams start to separate themselves. Ohio State getting Justin Fields. All of a sudden, they were more dangerous, more potent, and closer to a national title than they were, let's say, with JT Barrett or Dwayne Haskins. Alabama with Bryce Young. We look at Alabama, right? And the reason why Nick Saban had, you know, a slight downturn in the middle of the 2000s, when, remember, there were some questions about, oh, wow, Nick Saban, they're struggling with what? Mobile quarterbacks. They also still ran an offense that was based on playing good defense and running the ball. They didn't have speed on their team. So Ole Miss, when they would play them, there's a reason why Ole Miss and Hugh Freeze kind of had uh, Nick Saban's number. There's a reason why Nick Saban hired Lane Kiffin to bring that modern offense to Alabama. All of a sudden, they get Jalen Hurts. They get Tua Tungavailoa. They get Bryce Young. And now they're back in the national title picture every single year they're winning. Clemson. Why did Clemson go from a team that we talked about, they were Clemsoning, where they would always lose the big game, where they can never get over the hump. All of a sudden, 2015 comes, they're a juggernaut. Why? Deshaun Watson. Mobile 
dynamic playmaking quarterback that led to Trevor Lawrence, that led into DJ Uyunglele, which you know did struggle this year, granted. But so far, whether it's Trevor Lawrence, whether it's uh, Deshaun Watson, they transformed the Clemson program from consistently good to elite, just like that. Quarterback play now in Couchville, because it's so hard to find consistent, good, young quarterbacks, those who have them automatically jump right to the top. Automatically the elite of the elite. Uh, Cincinnati has that in Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter is a really dynamic, mobile, athletic, playmaking quarterback. Sometimes maybe he struggles with consistency and accuracy, but he's a guy who can light it up, who can make plays with his feet, make plays with his arm. He's a, a playmaker. Luke Fickle was able to get that at Cincinnati. That's been the one thing Notre Dame has missed, whether it's Jack Cohen, whether it's Ian Book, Tommy Reese. They've kind of always missed that playmaking quarterback. They had it with Everett Golson when they made the 2012 national title game, but consistency for Everett Golson was one of his biggest downfalls. <laughs> we'll leave the academic jokes out as another reason for Notre Dame's downfall. But anyway, Matt is right. They need a dynamic quarterback. And for Luke Fickle, for me, his ability to win more games with less talent I think he's would have been a perfect solution for Notre Dame coming in. He would have been able to recruit a lot better than he does at Cincinnati. He already has a dynamic quarterback, and he's shown he can get there at Cincinnati. I think he could do that at Notre Dame. I, for me, thought Luke Fickle was the perfect choice for Notre Dame. They are going to go with Marcus Freeman. So let's get your thoughts. Again, is that the right move? WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter. At Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Facebook Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I do want to talk about the couch roll plat because, as we know, right, the final weekend of games is on Saturday and a little bit on Friday as well. This is the final time teams can show the committee why they belong in. And I think now, as you head into conference championship weekend, I think four teams, four teams are guaranteed in for the college football playoff, no matter what happens, as long as they win. Doesn't matter the chaos happens in front of them, behind them. These four teams win, they are locks to get in. Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, Oklahoma State. All four of those teams win and they're in. Cincinnati is not in there. I will explain why, but let's go through it one by one. We'll start with the easy ones because there's not much explaining to you. Georgia. Georgia can win or lose. Georgia's in. Even if they lose to Alabama with how dominant they were going 12-0, they're going to be in at 12-1 no matter what, even if they lose. So the question for them is seeding. So Georgia, obviously, winning they're in. Even if they lose, they're already in. Most dominant team in college football, now for them, it's just about are they going to get the one seed if they win, or are they going to drop down to the two, three, or maybe even the four seed if they lose? Georgia, lock in. This weekend doesn't really matter. Michigan, they're number two in the latest cultural playoff ranking. They just beat uh, Ohio State. They're 11-1 they're right now. You win the Big, 12, uh, Big Ten title game. You beat Iowa, win and you're in. It's a guaranteed lock, and they're probably number two as well. Guaranteed win and you're in. So Michigan doesn't have much to do. Just beat Iowa. doesn't matter how you win. As long as you beat Iowa, win the Big, 12, uh, Big Ten, boom, they're in. Georgia's in with the win. Michigan's in with the win. Alabama. They beat Georgia. They're in. I get Alabama's look shaky this year. In terms of the Alabama standard, we are known to watch every single week. We are known to see every single week. This has been a down Alabama team. This has been one of Nick Saban's least dominant teams he's had really in the last five, six, seven years. Not counting injuries in 2019 when Tua got hurt, and that kind of changed the direction of the entire, t- uh, entire season. But if they beat Georgia, they are in, and they're honestly probably the number one seed. Like if, you, if you beat the most dominant team in college football, you beat the one team that no one's even gotten close to. Think about it, Georgia this year. 
Their closest margin of victory, just victory, is 17 points. So no team has even been within three scores of Georgia this year. Or no one, I guess no one's been within two scores of Georgia this year, I should say. And that's in the SEC. The most points any team has scored on Georgia this year is Tennessee that scored 17. That's it. So if you're Alabama, I don't care that you barely beat Auburn with a backup quarterback. It doesn't matter that you barely beat a last-place LSU team by six points at home or you needed a two-point conversion to fail in order to beat Florida in the Swamp earlier this year. They beat Georgia. They are obviously guaranteed in, and they are the number one seed. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm absolutely picking, well, I guess that there goes my pick for Hickey's Pickies. We'll do that in a little bit, but I'll tell you right now, spoiler, I'm taking Georgia. But if Alabama wins, they shock the world. They're in and they're number one. So those three are easy. Georgia, win or lose, they're in. Michigan, you win no matter how it looks. You win and you're in. Alabama, win and you're in. Those three teams are easy. Here's where it gets interesting. Oklahoma State. They are sitting there at number five in the country. They're currently out, right, of the top four. They're taking on number eight Baylor this weekend in the Big 12 title game. If they beat Baylor, they beat the number 18 in the country. I don't care if Georgia loses and if Michigan, you know, Michigan wins, if Alabama wins, if Cincinnati wins. Nothing in front what happens to Oklahoma State. Nothing what happens in front of them to Michigan, Alabama, or Cincinnati. As long as Oklahoma State wins, they are in. Because their resume right now is too great to leave out. They beat Baylor. That means they would have three wins. Three wins over current top 15 teams in the committee's eyes. They would have a win over Baylor, which they already have. They have another win over Baylor, and they have a win over Oklahoma, who's currently number 14. So that's three top 15 victories over the latest rankings by the committee. No other team in the top 15 has more than one. No other team right now, whether it's Georgia, whether it's Alabama, whether it's Cincinnati, Michigan, we can go up and down the list. No team has more than one win over a current top 15 team. uh, Oklahoma State would have three. So I don't see how you can justify leaving out a 12-1 and Big 12 champ with three wins over current top 15 teams. For I don't know how you, Gages, I do take some stock in this. I like to look at the rankings of when they played. Because you can play a team that's currently number three and they're playing well. They have an injury or they suffer a loss and all kind of goes into a tailspin. Now maybe that loss... Uh, or that win looks worse, or vice versa, you're playing a team that's on the downturn, you beat them, and all of a sudden they get hot, and they're one of the best teams in the country. Okay, sure, maybe they rise up to the top 10, but you didn't beat them at the moment the way they're playing right now. So I like to look at the current rankings of when these teams played. Oklahoma State, when you look at the current rankings of when they played teams, they would have five, including uh, if they beat Baylor on Saturday, they would have five wins over top 25 opponents. So three wins over current top 15 teams, five wins over top 25 teams they've played throughout the year. That resume is not getting left out. I don't care if Alabama beats Georgia and both SEC teams are in. I don't care if Michigan beats Iowa and they're in. I don't care if Cincinnati beats Houston. One of those teams is getting bumped for Oklahoma State because their resume is too strong to leave out. So for me, Oklahoma State winning their in. Win and they are in, which brings us to Cincinnati. I did not put them as a win and in team, and here's why. I don't trust, I don't really think the committee would put Cincinnati win, uh, put, that, put Cincinnati in if they just win. 
Cincinnati is going to need help. Like I just told you, if Oklahoma State wins, if Alabama wins and Michigan wins, you're going to have Georgia, we just talked about, they're in win or lose. Michigan win in the rent, so if they beat Iowa, they're in. Alabama, if they beat Georgia, they're in. And so that fourth spot, if Oklahoma State wins, it's going to come down to Oklahoma State and Cincinnati. I've been pounding the table. I've been a big-time advocate for Cincinnati to get into the college football playoff. This is not a knock on the group of five for Cincinnati. I want them to be in really bad. With that said, though, if it's Cincinnati or Oklahoma State, I get OK State as one loss. I'm putting Oklahoma State in over Cincinnati, and I think the committee would as well. I just told you the resume Oklahoma State has to me is too strong to leave out. Cincinnati is a great win over Notre Dame on the road, who's currently right now number six in the nation. Their other win right now, they're playing number 21, Houston. So there's two wins over top 25 teams. Baylor would, uh, excuse me, Oklahoma State would have three wins over top 15 teams. The resume is stronger. They have more wins over top 25 opponents. They have more wins over top 15 opponents. They're a uh, Power 5 conference champion. They would beat a top 8 team two times. It's hard to beat a team twice in a season. So even though they would have, you know, they have one loss, how I view criteria is for me, the biggest thing I look at is wins. Who'd you beat? Cincinnati, great win over Notre Dame. Tremendous. Oklahoma State would have great wins over Baylor, once at home, once on neutral site, and Oklahoma. For me, I would value those three wins over Cincinnati's one win over Notre Dame. It's not just about the quality of win. It's the quantity of those quality wins. Oklahoma State would have three. Cincinnati would have two if you want to give them the Houston win, who's currently right now 21. So Cincinnati, to me, still needs help. They need either Michigan to lose to Iowa, Alabama to lose to Georgia, or Oklahoma State to lose to Baylor. I think Alabama's losing to Georgia. So I do think both Oklahoma State and Cincinnati are going to make the college football playoff. I think it's going to be Georgia, Michigan, Cincy, Oklahoma State. But Michigan wins, Alabama wins, Oklahoma State wins. I'm telling you, it's going to be Oklahoma State, and I think it should be as well. So I'm curious your thoughts here. I think the four teams guaranteed winning their end, control your own destiny. It's Georgia, it's Michigan, it's Alabama, and it's Oklahoma State, not Cincinnati. I'm curious your thoughts. Do you agree with that? Should Oklahoma State get in over Cincinnati? Is Cincinnati, in your mind, a lock? Because they're number four right now. If they win, are they in? Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. At Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your thoughts. When we do return, I want to slide into uh, some NFL quickly. The Los Angeles Rams are struggling. Losers of three in a row. Everyone has kind of written them off as Super Bowl contenders. How do they get back to that Super Bowl contention or contender level? How do they get back to being one of the best teams in the NFC? Well, I got a solution, and I'll be honest, it's a pretty simple one. I'll tell you what that is when we do return here. Listen to the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show. Come and get your love. Great song, tremendous song. A song that I'm sure 
the celebrity guest picker for Hickey's Pick is coming on in about a half hour or so for now. Hates. Hates it. Embarrassed by it. We'll try to get the answer for someone who claims to love music and is, you know, knows music very well. Why he hates such a classic, traditional song. But before we get there, the Los Angeles Rams are in a conundrum. They have lost three consecutive games. And for a lot of people, they have lost faith in the Rams. They're writing L.A. off. For me, the solution is simple. I'm still a believer in the Rams because they can fix their problems. Because you look at the Los Angeles Rams right now, what's the biggest thing wrong with them? It's not Matthew Stafford or the wide receiver depth or the offensive line. It's they are without an identity on offense. The Rams right now, this last month, are imposters. They're trying to be someone they are not. So if the solution to fix their three-game stretch, to get back to looking like Super Bowl contenders, is a very easy one. Get back to who you are. Your true identity on offense for the Rams is running the football. That will unlock the offense, the run game. It's not giving it to Matthew Stafford more. It's not Sean McVay all of a sudden getting figured out or needing to come up with a more creative game plan. They have gotten away from who they truly are the last few years. And I think running the football, getting back to their true identity, is how you get the Rams back on track to being Super Bowl contenders. Don't just take my word for it, though. Mike, who, who am I? It's a radio host on an internet show. I get I have no clout in the NFL, but how about we ask someone or hear someone get their thoughts that knows a thing or two about football? How about Kurt Warner? Pro football, Hall of Fame quarterback, Super Bowl winner with aforementioned Rams. I would say that's a pretty good source to go to. Kurt Warner was on a tremendous show on CBS Sports Radio, Writer Than You with Bill Ryder. He gave his thoughts of how the Rams can really turn their offense and kind of get their struggles back on, or fix their struggles and get the offense back on track. Right now, I think they're in a little bit of an identity crisis, figuring out, okay, what can we be and what do we need to be with this collection of talent if we're going to compete for that championship? It might not be the same way we played last year, or maybe it has to be the same way offensively that we played with Jared Goff when we went to the Super Bowl a couple years ago, even though Matthew Stafford is a more talented player, what bodes well for our football team? What makes us the best football team, covers up some of the weaknesses and allows us to play to our strengths uh, within that? And so I think that's where they're at right now is you get these shiny pieces and you automatically think, hey, we can do so much more. Let's become a different kind of team. And that may not be the case with this Rams team, you know, and I think I look at their offense and how they've become much more of a spread offense than a content run first play action offense, which is where they had so much success with Garrett Goff. And yes, Matthew Stafford's better at the wide open drop back game, but are they better if they continue to, you know, to kind of major in that world? And those are kind of the questions that I have. So there you have a Kurt Warner. Again, former Rams Super Bowl champion quarterback said what? Even though you have Matthew Stafford, a better quarterback than Jared Goff, the true identity of the team, what maybe fits the team better, is still that run, uh, that run first approach. Running the ball and then having a better quarterback really kill teams on play action more than Jared Goff did. And I think Kurt Warner's 100% right. 
Because right, you look at the construction of the team, you think, okay, they got Matthew Stafford in the offseason. To me, a total upgrade. I think a lot of people would say the same thing. A total upgrade over Jared Goff. You have Odell Beckham Jr. You pair him with Cooper Cup right now, the leading receiver in the NFL. And you think, okay, this is a team that's going to air it out. Sean McVay's a great offensive mind. It's going to be an air raid attack. They're going to throw, 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 throw. Well, you heard Kurt wanted to just say it. They're still, their true identity, how they have success, is by running the ball first. Don't just take my opinion for it. Don't take Kurt Warner's opinion for it. Let's look at the stats, the cold, hard numbers. Since Sean McVay got there in 2017, where the Rams have ranked in terms of rushing attempts in the season does have a direct impact on whether they make the playoffs or not. 2017, Sean McVay's first year in L.A. They ran or attempted to run the ball the ninth most times in the NFL. So top 10 in rush attempts, they made the playoffs that year. 2018, they were eighth in rushing attempts in the NFL, made the Super Bowl. Okay, 2019, right? Run, top 10 in runs the first two years, made the, made the playoffs twice, went to the Super Bowl second year. 2019, they were 18th in the NFL in rush attempts. What happened that year? Missed the playoffs. Okay, last year. Forget the Jared Goff situation. Forget the broken thumb, John Wolford, everything that comes with Jared Goff and his struggles. The Rams were seventh in the NFL in rush attempts. They won a playoff game. They won a playoff game. This year, the Rams are 23rd in rush attempts. So even though they have a better quarterback, they are struggling right now in the midst of a three-game losing streak. People are writing them off as Super Bowl contenders because the run game is not there. Every year they're top 10 in, in terms of rush attempts. They've either made the playoffs or made the Super Bowl. The two, the one year, the one full year, they were outside the top 10. They missed the playoffs in 2019. And right now they're 23rd and they're trending in the wrong direction. This team is predicated on running the football first. They need to get back to that. That's why the solution is so simple. Just running the ball more. And they are 24th in the NFL in terms of rushing yards per game at just 95. So they're 23rd in terms of rush attempts, 24th in terms of actual yards per game. When you look at the logs, in terms of passing yards per game for the Rams, rushing yards per game for the Rams, when they run as a team for 100 or more yards, because remember, with how they run the ball, right? it's not like Derrick Henry, a Tennessee Titans offense where they just give them, you know, give Derrick Henry the ball and have him run. The Rams are creative with how they run. They have Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle and Robert Woods has taken a, a bunch of handoffs and Cooper Cup when he was or Robert Woods when he was healthy took a bunch of handoffs and Cooper Cup gets the handoffs. They run the ball with multiple ball carries in all different ways and all different you know uh, attempts of just you know a downhill rushing attack. So as a team, when they run for a hundred or more yards, they are four and one this season. As a team, when they rush for less than a hundred yards this year, they're three and three including losing their last three games in a row. They have yet to rush for over 100 yards in a three-game losing streak. As you know, they are 0-3. So the solution is there for the Rams. It's a very simple solution. Run the football more. I love Matthew Stafford. I'm not telling you to take the ball out of his hands because I don't trust him. I'm telling you to run the football more because that sets Matthew Stafford up now for to be in a better position to succeed. It sets up Cooper Cup now because the, the threat of the run takes away all the attention that's currently on him. It helps the offense with the loss of Robert Woods. Even though you have OBJ there, Robert Woods is such an integral part of this offense. If you're going to throw the ball 35, 40, 45 uh, times a game, his loss is felt 
more than if you're throwing the ball, let's say, 25, 30, 32 times a game. The run game has to come back for L.A., or they will not become Super Bowl contenders again. Their struggles, to me, are very reminiscent of the Chiefs this year. Remember, it's still sort of there, but for like six weeks, a month and a half, two months, the Chiefs' offense was discombobulated. They couldn't score a touchdown. Patrick Holmes was throwing picks left and right. The offense really stunk. But it's like, okay, how does it, why does the offense stink when you still have Patrick Holmes, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Andy Reid? Like, every, everyone that, went, that was on the team in the last two years and went to the Super Bowl is still there. Why is the offense all of a sudden now scoring 10 points a game and struggling to score 10 points a game and they're losing? It's because defenses found how to beat the Chiefs. They started dropping seven, eight, nine guys in coverage. They took away the Tyree Kill deep throw. They double covered Travis Kelsey. And they basically told you, Patrick Holmes, you're going to have to dump the ball off, they basically throw it to your running backs and your lesser receivers and have them beat us than have Tyree Kill beat us for a 60-yard touchdown and Travis Kelsey beat us for 100 yards a game. It took the Chiefs six, seven games to figure out how to beat that defense, which was what? Doing what they don't normally do. Throw the ball to the running back out of the backfield. Dump it off, throw underneath routes. Have Patrick Holmes attempt passes five yards or less on the line of scrimmage. What are you used to seeing with Patrick Holmes? Airing the ball out 60 yards down the field. Throwing the ball on the run. These no-look passes 20 yards down the field. We never were used to Patrick Holmes basically dumping it off. And we saw in the Raiders game what happened. He dumped it off to, uh, to their running back. Running backs. Had over 100 yards receiving one of their running backs did in the game against the Raiders. And guess what? All of a sudden, they opened up more lanes for Travis Kelsey, opened up more deep throws for Tyree Kill. They scored 41 points on the Raiders. A lot of those throws underneath led to the defense softening up. They finally realized how to get back on track offensively with a small fix, throwing the ball underneath, and now open up the defense going forward. For me, the, the, so the Chiefs finding out the answer was simple. That's why I'm still believing the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. The answer is there just now about swallowing your pride if you're Andy Reid and Patrick Holmes and saying, all right, we'll take those dump-offs every single time you're going to give them to us. We'll beat you any way we can. We'll beat you death by a thousand paper cuts. For the Rams, I'm still picking them to go to the Super Bowl because the solution is similarly simple. Run the damn ball. Run the ball with Dale Henderson, with Sonny Michelle, with Cooper Cup, with Odell Beckham Jr. I don't care who gets the ball. Sean McVay's a smart guy. Run it with whoever the hell you want. But the Rams, as we just saw, when they are top 10 in rush attempts, they are going to the playoffs. When they are outside the top 10, when they're throwing the ball more than running the ball, they are not a playoff team. Right now, they're 23rd in the NFL in, in rush attempts. They are not looking like a Super Bowl contender. They're not even looking like a playoff team right now. That has to change right now, starting this week. Running the football more. If they are able to do that, if they are able to figure it out, the solution is simple. Does Sean McVay have the pride to swallow us? Okay, we're going to not let Matthew Stafford, you know, he's a shiny toy that I desperately wanted. We got him. We're still going to run the ball more. We're going to be a run first team, get back to our identity that led us to, you know, the playoffs and the Super Bowl when Jared Goff's our quarterback. But we're going to really kill them more in the play action game. And that is the slim, uh, simple answer. Running the ball more. I think the Rams will get back to it. And I think that's why I'm still believing the Rams. They are still my pick to make the Super Bowl. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Are you a believer in the Rams? I told you the solution. Sorry. 
Just running the ball more. Kurt Warner told you the solution. Getting back to their true identity and offense. Run first team. Are you a believer the Rams will turn their struggles around? Can they get back to being a Super Bowl contender in the NFC? Up there with the Cardinals. Up there with the Packers. Up there with the Bucks. I do. But do you? Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your thoughts. And when we do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, Jim Harbaugh finally did it. He deserves a lot of praise for finally beating Ohio State. That was the biggest game of his career. But this upcoming Saturday in the Big Ten title game against Iowa will be the toughest game he has ever coached in his career. I'll explain why that is when we do return and listen to the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twenty minutes from now, really, actually, fifteen minutes from now, Nick McCool, my guy, second place finisher in the 2020 Hickey's Pickies contest, will join us to try to reclaim first place here. Be a lot of funny, a lot of, a lot of pickers. Four and one, five and one, six and one. No one has gone undefeated so far. We'll see if Nick is the guy to do so. Fifteen minutes from now, the ten o'clock hour. As a reminder, sponsored by L. C Designs. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions, especially now during the holiday season when everyone's joining, families together. No better, you know, way to bond, break bread, and over a nice charcuterie board with you and your friends or family. So make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark. So check out lcdesignsnyc.com, lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. So before we get to Hickey's Pickies here in 15 minutes, I do want to talk about one game in particular this upcoming weekend in college football. That is the Big Ten title game, Michigan versus, uh, versus Iowa. And I want to focus specifically on Jim Harbaugh. This is the toughest game Jim Harbaugh will ever coach in his career. Saturday, Indianapolis, Big Ten title game. Tougher than last week against Ohio State. Tougher than the Super Bowl he coached with San Francisco. The reason why this is the toughest game of Jim Harbaugh's career is because it's a trap game. It's a trap game. It's insane to say it, and I get it. If you're thinking already right now how stupid I am for calling a Big Ten title game with a path to the playoff on the line a trap game, hear me out. I get it's impossible, right? This is not on the Big Ten title game, not only the, the chance for Michigan to win a Big Ten title, go to the, to the college football playoff. The reason why it's a trap game is because emotionally, it's really hard to come down from last week, right? Because you hear trap game, and you think what? Overlooking your opponent, not respecting your opponent. And that's where teams, especially in college football, get caught. By kind of, you know, already thinking about next week, or already just kind of thinking, all right, we're going to walk out on the field and beat this team. But it's not, to me, that Michigan isn't respecting Iowa. It's not the fact that they're already basically getting ready for the college football playoff. It's the fact that when you come off such an emotional victory like, like they did last week in beating Ohio State, it is really tough. It is really hard to refocus so quickly for a game with even greater stakes. This is the biggest game. This is the closest to a championship Michigan has been in 15 years. This is the biggest game since they played 
number one Ohio State in 06 when they were number two. Michigan has never been this close to a championship in 15 years. But the pressure isn't just about making the college football playoff. The pressure isn't about just winning the first Big Ten title since 2004. The pressure is also on Jim Harbaugh and Michigan to not ruin the Ohio State win. Not throw all the goodwill, all the good momentum they built up last week out the window with a loss to Iowa. Because let's call for what it is. If they lose to Iowa on Saturday, that Ohio State win means nothing. It means nothing. It's all for naught. That's why this game is a trap game. Because emotionally, when you are so happy, so relieved to finally beat a team that has stomped in your head now for almost a decade, it is really hard to refocus in a day and now get back and even kind of uh, generate that emotional investment that you need to, to, to face now an opponent in Iowa that isn't as talented as Ohio State, but the stakes are even greater than it was last week. Because you look at Michigan, right? They are what? They're coming off the high of being Ohio State. First time they beat the Buckeyes since 2011. Snapped an eight-game losing streak. First ever win in the rivalry for Jim Harbaugh as a head coach. So that's a, a huge, huge moment for the Michigan program and their future. We saw it on the field, right? They beat Ohio State in the big house. That scene on after the game was unbelievable. The snow is falling. The fans rush the field. You have Aiden Hutchinson kind of just looking like, he, you know, we did it. Like, this is the best moment of my life. Jim Harbaugh looks like the most relieved man. Like, you just took a, a million-pound, you know, gorilla off his back. All the players, all the fans, everyone associated with Michigan football finally was able to take the first sigh of relief they could in a decade. Why? Because all the pressure was on Michigan. All the attention was on Michigan to finally beat Ohio State. I know I wasn't here with you last week on the Worldwide Sports Network, in part because I was filming on CBS Sports Radio a ton last week. And whether it was Wednesday show, whether it was Friday show, I'll be honest, I was sitting there telling you, if Michigan lost this game, they should fire Jim Harbaugh. Because it's not that Jim Harbaugh is 0-5 against Ohio State. It's the fact they haven't even been competitive. The average margin of victory for Ohio State over Michigan in the five years Harbaugh was the head coach was 19 points per game. So Michigan wasn't even close. So you have Jim Harbaugh who basically took a, a, a pay cut in half just to return as Michigan head coach this year. You had all the pressure on him going 10-1 and now and finally playing the team that has owned you. If this wasn't the year they were going to beat it, it seemed like it was never going to happen. So that's why it was so emotional last week is because you had all of this frustration, all of this concern that, man, this is kind of the year. If you can't get it done, when will we ever do it? It's been a long time. Ohio State's won 15 in the last 16 entering Saturday. Eight in a row, like I just mentioned. It's been since 2011 since a Michigan team has beaten Ohio State. So you look now, the futility of Michigan. Each loss every single year only adds more pressure on the next year to win. So it was exponential. There was so much pressure on Michigan. And to their credit, they played clean. They played like a team that had no pressure on them. And they beat the hell out of Ohio State. But now, you get the win. You finally win the game. Right? It's the biggest game of Michigan's schedule every single year. The game. It's bigger than when they used to play Notre Dame. It's bigger than when they play Michigan State. This is the biggest game of every coach and player's season is Ohio State. Now that you win that game, you're asking 18 to 22-year-old kids to refocus after a colossal, 
arguably program shifting win. That's so hard to do. We see it happen in college football more than any other sport. The letdown after an emotional victory. Look at this year. It happened in Michigan State. Michigan State beats Michigan in that epic back and forth game. They come, you know, they come back from two touchdowns down in the second half. Kenneth Walker had his highest moment, five touchdowns. And what happened? Everyone was calling Purdue a trap game the next week. So when everyone is telling you it's a trap game, you really can't consider it a trap game, right? Because you've got to think, okay, Purdue has already had one win over Iowa. Everybody is telling you this is a trap game. Michigan State taking on Purdue the next week. So you can say over and over and over again, it's a trap game, meaning, okay, Ohio, Michigan State's focused because they know this is a big game. And what happened? They still lost to Purdue. Emotionally, even though they took Purdue seriously, they couldn't get the emotions up to beat the Boilermakers, and they lost by double digits. Alabama came off that dominant victory over Ole Miss. I'll be honest, I thought Ole Miss was going to win that game. I predicted the Rebels to go into uh, Tuscaloosa and win. That was a big game for the Tide. They blew out Ole Miss. What happened the next week? The very next week, they lost as 18-point favorites to Texas A&M. Lost flat out. How about Iowa? We mentioned Purdue before. Purdue got Iowa after they beat Penn State, right? That number three versus number four matchup. Insane game. Iowa got down early. Sean Clifford gets hurt for the Nittany Lions. Iowa eventually comes back. The fans storm the field. It seems this is Iowa's year to win the Big Ten and go to the couch World playoff. The very next week, at home, they couldn't get up. They lost to Purdue. And then from there, we kind of saw their season go sideways. So we have seen, even when teams know it's a trap game coming, the emotions are so high from the week before, it's hard to get those back you know, uh, on track. It's hard to refocus after coming off such an emotional high the week before. And you look now at the opponent Michigan is playing. Kirk Ferentz has made a living off of beating teams that overlook them. And again, I'm not telling you Michigan's overlooking Iowa or taking them for granted or think they're going to win and already getting ready for the cultural playoff. I'm telling you, the emotions are so high from last week that I think it's hard to get kind of refocused really quickly. And you have to, if you're Michigan, come in sharp, come in focused, because if not, they're going to lose. Iowa's going to beat you because they don't beat themselves. The Hawkeyes don't. They turn every single game, no matter who they're playing, it's an ugly wrestling match. They make it ugly. They get dirty. They try to run the ball. They keep it in the trenches. They get after you. They're very physical. They're fundamentally sound, not a lot of penalties. They force a lot of turnovers. They play a style of football that usually, no matter what team you are, they drag you into the fight. It's always the game is kind of Iowa's fight. Iowa's style of game. They make you beat them at their style of football. So Michigan has to be prepared for that, has to be ready for that. If you're not 100% focused, 100% locked in, that's how you get got. And just mentioned the turnovers. That's another way Iowa has kept it close against some of the teams that talent-wise are way better than them. This year, they're tied for third in the country with 27 turnovers. 27 turnovers in just 12 games. They know how to get extra possessions. They don't give the ball away too often. That's how Kirk Ferentz has been able, with lesser talent for years and years and years, be able to keep Iowa relevant. Have them still winning big-time games and in the mix every single year for the Big Ten is because they play a style of football that talent-wise, they don't match up with the teams uh, on their schedule, but fundamentally sound-wise, getting extra opportunities, winning the small battles, is how Iowa continually wins these big games. So if you're Jim Harbaugh, 
you're now going against an opponent where your boys have to be locked in. Razor sharp focus in order to beat Iowa. I just think it's really tough. I'm not saying Michigan's going to lose. I think it's really, really tough to do after you come over, come uh, coming off a win in which you beat Ohio State. That game is a focus 365 days a year. That game has been the focus, uh, especially of Jim Harbaugh, for the last five years. Every single year he loses. The questions only get louder. The pressure only mounts. And so now you finally climb the mountain and slay the dragon. Well, now, waiting on the other side is Iowa in the Big Ten title game with a chance to go to the cultural playoff. So I get when you, when you hear the word trap game, I'm not telling you that Michigan's overlooking Iowa or they're not taking the Big uh, Ten title game seriously. That's usually what you associate when it comes to trap games. I'm talking about trap game from an emotional perspective that I think even though Michigan knows Iowa's a tough opponent, I think it's tough to get those emotions back in check and ready to go be locked in all, all week after coming off such an important victory. That's why for me, it's the toughest coaching job of Jim Harbaugh's career. It's easy. Get your guys ready to go to beat Ohio State last week. It's harder now to get them grounded, focused, and have them realize this week is even bigger than last week. And it's tough to do emotion-wise. That's why for me, this is the toughest game Jim Harbaugh's ever going to have to coach in. Interested, really excited to see how it goes. We'll get to the pick of the game coming up next. Hickey's Pickies, Nick McCool, my guy, second place finish from Hickey's Pickies last year. We'll hop aboard and also not just pick some games, both NFL and college, but also talk about some music. Spotify wrapped if you're a Spotify user, or if not, it's impossible to see it or impossible to miss it. Everyone's posting their top five songs, top five artists. Well, I posted mine yesterday. And let's just say it got a lot of blowback, a lot of criticism from Nick McCool, especially. So we'll try to give him a lesson on what good music is. We do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Of course, we're us, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hickey's Pickies is always my favorite segment of the week. And we bring a guy in because on the show, we try to give you good picks. But on top of good picks, we also give you some good music tastes on the rejoin. Like right now, the Macarena. You can't tell me that this is not a, a banger. Can't tell me you're sitting there, whether it's at work, whether you're just at home, chilling in the background, having us on, and you're not bobbing your head, moving your shoulders a little bit, and feeling a little groovy. But unfortunately, not everyone has the same great music tastes as yours truly. There are haters uh, of good music and we go out to the line right now for a man that not only makes some good picks but really hates some good music that's nick mccool nick what's up man Hickey, what's going on my man i i am doing well i'm doing well we appreciate you coming on here my first question for you is this before we get to the picks you are i gave you a lot of credit beforehand before the show because i said you are someone that i think is the most knowledgeable person when it comes to music Right, you don't just know that the top, you know, classics now like Drake and Rihanna and Kanye and all those, all those people. But also, you go back sixties, seventies, eighties, rock and roll, classic rock, all different types of genres and artists. You, sir, are a historian of great music, allegedly. Why do you hate good music like I try to put out here on the show and I try to listen to in my spare time? 
picky. Let me tell you, man. I am a bigger Macarena fan than probably you. I, I don't know about that. No, I love the song. After every wedding I go to, I tweet about it. I tweeted after, I don't know if it was after my cousin's wedding in July or after my sister's wedding in October. I tweeted the next morning how the Macarena is better than Stairway to Heaven, which most people regard as the greatest song of all time. Wow, okay. I love the Macarena. I get down to it all the time. There's, there's no question it's a great song. But how... I mean, you, you like what I wish you posted was I wish you posted how many because people post how many hours or whatever they listen to. Like, my question is, how do you how much do you listen to the Macarena that it's in your top five? Like, you couldn't have listened to more than 45 music, 45 minutes of music on Spotify this entire year. No, come on. I listen. I guess I got to pull up some analytics here, but I listen to music a good amount of times. And that's like you just mentioned how good of a song it is. So obviously a great song like that. I'm going to listen to it a ton. I'm not just listen to it like once, you know. It gets me fired up. Like I just said, you can't listen to that song and not, you know, kind of start bobbing your head and start grooving. So, of course, we're going to listen to it a ton. But, like, like, yeah, so do you just, like, pregame to it every weekend? Or are you sitting there, like, on a Tuesday, you know, on your way to work, like, listening to oh, the yeah. Macarena, like, on the subway? You on know, the like, train. Know, you know? Absolutely. Interesting. Okay. No, that's fine. I mean, like, I love the song. It's just like for that to be in your top five, you you must have just like listened to it five times and you never listened to any other song more than like twice. <laughs> so in case you missed it here, my top five on Spotify is this. Come and Get Your Love, single version, number one. Ah, Yes, So What, which is kind of off the cuff. It's, it's, a, it, it's a really old song, but I will say good one. Macarena's number three. I Follow Rivers, but... A little Magician remix, which is a total, total banger. Listen to it a ton this summer. And, uh, you know, a hit that everyone loves, Good For You by Olivia Rodrigo. Top five. I think to me, those are, I just see banger after banger after banger. You did, though, personally message me, tell me to not only delete that post that I had sharing the top five, but also said this is the worst top five list you've seen in the history of your life. Why do you it's hate true. good music? It's true. No, it really is. And, you know, I know people do hate on people for posting, like, you know, their Spotify rap or whatever. I personally love it just because I like seeing what people listen to. I think it's really cool. So I, I won't hate on people for that. It's not a good look. I'm just I'm just telling you again, as a friend, you do you do you. I'm just telling you as a friend, if I didn't care for you, I wouldn't say anything. I would let you embarrass yourself and keep it up. But I'm just I'm just telling you, you know. All right, I'm trying. So I, I'm the last thing I'm trying to see here is how long I did listen to it. Now I will say the top artist is Billy Joel. I hope that's acceptable. Yeah, that's fair. He's not my favorite, but that's fair. That's fine. Okay, let's see here. The only thing is this. T the one thing about Spotify, I will say, it takes forever to find out the, the numbers. See, they go through all this song and dance. They got to go all this rollout. I just want to see the pure stats of how many minutes I listened. Because I'll tell you, it's been a lot. It's absolutely been a lot. Let's see. I spent 16,000 minutes listening to Spotify this year. 16,000. That, so that's a lot more than I expected, especially from you. So that's interesting. Uh, wow. I, so I don't wanna, I, like, what can I say? <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Some people like good music, like, like yours truly. Other people hate good music, and that's just uh, the sad fact of life. Unfortunately, I really thought you were a connoisseur of music. I'll be honest. We went to school together. I've known you now for what, almost 10 years. Honestly, my opinion of you changed yesterday. You, to me, were the number one source of music. Uh, like, any insight, any opinion you gave, I would listen to it without questioning it. 
until you messaged me yesterday. You know what the sad thing is, Hickey? Your opinion of me changed yesterday. My opinion of you didn't change at all. It didn't change at all. And that's the sadder part. <laughs> Number one genre was dance pop, which I will say does, I think, fit, uh, fit the profile pretty well. All right, so you hate my music. Fine, what are you going to do? Hopefully you don't hate my picks. Guess what we really bring bringing in it for here. Who's also, you're a smarter guy than I, I guess, when it comes to music, although I disagree, but also when it comes to picking some games. You killed it last year, Nick. In case you forgot, you were 4-1. Outside of Lauren going a perfect 5-0, you were the second-place finisher, Nicky's Pickies. I don't think you ever did a, if I ever did a final results, I, I do apologize if I forget, but in case you didn't know, you're number two. And this year... Lauren did go. The champion, she did not go 5-0. Your boy Rooks, our boy Rooks, has lit up the score, but he's 6-1 so far this year. He is the top dog to beat. How are we feeling about taking down Rooks? I, I, almost like last year where I, you know, I'm such a big fan of Lauren, which, by the way, I love the, the, the show bump with her. The, uh, the ad ad is fantastic. I love that. She's paying um, me some big bucks for that. The ad space all, on the Ryan Hickey show is not cheap. <laughs> but it was, it was almost like like last year I didn't want to beat her. I love Rook so much. And oh, I miss him dearly. Uh, if he's listening, I I, almost, I don't want to beat him. I really I love Rooks. You know what? I'm gonna steal that excuse because I'm 29 and 26 on my picks. I'm with you. I'm losing the. I'm taking these picks on per on purpose because I don't want to beat Rooks. He's such a great guy. 26 isn't bad, Hickey. I will take That's it. I will say though, off to a hot start. Let's see. The last time I was over 500, actually, it was the last time we did this two weeks ago, but it's been a lot of two and three, one and four, uh, one and five. It's been, a, it's been an ugly uh, start here so far, but we're going to try to rebound, and that's going to start here. I will say, though, advice for you. I try to tell us all the listeners, but now, or the contestants, but especially true here. If you go opposite of my picks here, five for five, I think you have a real shot of going five and oh. So we got two college games and three NFL games. Let's start with the college football. Big game, the SEC title game here, Nick. Alabama and Georgia. Bama, a rare, rare underdog at getting, or they are plus six and a half, I should say. Tide going to keep it close? Tide going to win? Or are you going the dogs to keep on rolling? Yeah, you know what's funny? I feel like Alabama is always the chalky team like that's the public team that most people are always going to be backing it i i don't remember them ever being six and a half point underdogs since i've been you know betting i guess since 2014 15 or whatever i can't remember them ever being dogs like this but i gotta say i'm i'm playing it with georgia and i don't think i'm in the minority here i think honestly a lot of people kind of feel that way but i'm laying with georgia Bama just has not looked good at all in the second half of the season. And yes, they're winning games. And I don't need to tell you to, t- I don't need to tell anyone that they played bad against Auburn last week. I think <laughs> everyone knows that. Um, and obviously, the coaching decisions on Auburn's side continue oh. going, whatever. You know, that, that, oh, that is awful. what it is. Um, they got outplayed in that game, which is pretty embarrassing. Uh, they, you know, were 28, I think, point favorites against LSU, and they won by seven. Uh, they just haven't been playing good football. And Georgia, I, I had heard a stat yesterday or this morning. I can't remember what it was. But Georgia, I think, has given up 83 points the entire season or something like that. And the last three opponents against Auburn scored 84 and Bama was only able to put up three points against them in the first 59 minutes of that game. So, so George has only given up, I think 83 or 84 points the entire season. 
Bama's offense is not looking any good right now. Um, I, I, I'm going to lay the points for Georgia. I, I really think they're going to beat them. I think they're going to beat them by 10. I, dude, I'm with you. Like, I'll be honest. Like, you watch Alabama this year. For Alabama standards, what we're used to watching, this is not a very good team. This is one of, like, honestly, Nick Saban's worst teams when they're fully healthy. They have really struggled. Like you said, the offense has kind of stunk. And I'll ask you this, because since we're both on Georgia plus 6.5, I'll ask you this, or minus 6.5, I'll ask you this question instead. You mentioned the points, right? 83-84 that they've given up all season long, the Georgia defense has. The most points in one game they've given up is 17 to Tennessee. Does Alabama score more than 17 points on Saturday? I mean, the way they're looking, it's, right? it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine it. Yeah, it really is. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think so. You're right. Like they scored 24 points, right? I think it was against Auburn, but that came in four overtimes. And like you said, they were held to three points, and that Auburn D line was all effort all over Bryce Young for the first basically 59 minutes and 30 seconds of the game. 57 minutes, what we'll say, since before the last drive. So you look at this Georgia D-line. If you have an Alabama or Auburn's D-line getting after you the way they did against Bryce Young, I mean, Georgia's D-line is going to feast. They have a guy that I'm not even sure is a human being in Jordan Davis. This is a guy who, like, makes legitimately 300-pound guys on his team look small. So good luck to Alabama. I'm with you. I don't think they score 17 points. Maybe they get right at the number 17, but I don't think we'll see an Alabama offense score the most points on, on Georgia's defense this year. I'm with you. Dogs laying six and a half points. They get the job done. Michigan and Iowa. Big 10 battle here. Jim Harbaugh wins the big one against Ohio State last week. Can he keep it up this week? Wolverines are big favorites here. Ten and a half point favorites taking on the Hawkeyes. Going to lay the points with the uh, with Kirk Ferentz and the boys? Or were you going to take the points? You're going to bet on Jim Harbaugh. Well, I, I didn't get to listen to the beginning of your show, but I did listen to your, you know, your last segment right before this. Uh, so I think I know where you're going with this one. Um, and I tend to agree with most of the stuff that you said, um, but I'm, I am going to lay it with Michigan. I think they're going to start out really slow. And I don't, re I don't love this pick by all means. Like I will not be betting it on my own. There's no shot, but uh, I will lay it with Michigan. I think it's going to be a really slow start, but I really just do not see how Iowa scores more than say like, I, I don't see them scoring more than 13 and I don't even know if they get to 13. So I just think, you know, wearing them down late in the game, Michigan can probably punch in a, a few uh, scores in the second half, and I, I think they'll ultimately pull it out um, by two scores. But, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay the 11 and a half with Michigan. Big number here. I, As you heard, last segment I talked about, this is I think it's going to be the toughest game Jim Harbaugh's ever coached. Now, I will say I think Michigan does win. I think it's close. I think Iowa covers. I'll take the 10 and a half points in this game all day long just because, like you said, Iowa plays a style of football that is going to be ugly. Michigan was able to bully Ohio State last week. We saw that Ohio State run defense truly wasn't fixed from week two when they got gashed by Oregon, and Michigan was the physical team they imposed their will. They are, sure, more talented than Iowa, but Iowa will make it an ugly game. I think they'll force a turnover to keep it, uh, keep it closely. I'm with you. I don't think this is a very high-scoring game. 17-13. No, it's going to be a rock fight, honestly. Yeah. Close your eyes watching it. It's going to be ugly. <laughs> I love that term, rock fight. 20-13. Um, yeah. Like I think it's going to be close, ugly, low scoring. So I'll take Iowa. If they're going to get 10.5 points, yeah, I don't think they're going to win. But I'll take this to keep it close and, and cover. I will go Iowa here, but you're a smart man going against me. Michigan, this has probably a 35-13 blowout written all over it for the Wolverines. We'll go to the NFL. Talk about ugly, talk about physical, talk about possibly low scoring. Ravens and Steelers, always a fun matchup here. Ravens on the road visiting Pittsburgh. 
giving four and a half points. Who are you going with here? I'm going to take Pittsburgh. Uh, obviously, last week was really ugly for them. Uh, did not look good at all. But And Big Ben is absolutely cooked. I'm not making a hot take there at all. Everyone knows that. <laughs> so. um, but I'm going to take Pittsburgh. I, I feel like Baltimore, I think Lamar hasn't been really that great. And the stats would show it. His last five games, actually, his QBR is under 50, which... You know, so he's been in the bottom half of quarterbacks. It, I feel like he doesn't have the tendency to run like he normally does. These games are usually close. If you're giving me over a field goal with the home team, I'll, I'll take Pittsburgh. I don't love it, but I'll take the Steelers. I just, I, I don't think, and I, Lamar is one of my favorite players in the league. I just, he just doesn't look the same. And to your point, the last four games he started, right? Because he missed the one game against the Bears with the illness. The last four games he started, three of the four, the, the Raiders have scored 17 points or less. So even when he's on the field, the Ravens' offense is not really playing them well. The one game they scored a lot of points was the Vikings. They needed a big comeback because Lamar kind of put them in a hole early to win that game in overtime. I'm with you. I'll take the Steelers at home. It looked ugly last week for Pittsburgh getting blown out by Cincinnati, but this is a professional team. This is a team that's still a really good defense. Mike Tomlin and those leaders on that defense, T.J. Watt, Ben Roethlisberger, despite the fact he can't play, I think they have too much pride to kind of just kind of fold it up and say, see you later. I don't think the Steelers are very good. I do think the Ravens will win this game. But, right, given the Steelers four and a half points at home, I think it's one of those games where they do rebound, they do play uh, a lot tougher and keep this game close. To your point, too, the Ravens also play every game close. Even though they're 8-3, and three, their points at first, I think, is like plus 20. Like, they have won every game close, lost some games close. Lamar's not really playing well, come with a four-interception game. I will go, I'm with you, Steelers at home plus four and a half. We'll take that every single day. In AFC East battle here, Nick, a division you know very well being a Jets fan. Patriots have looked like one of the best and hottest teams of late the last two months. They're on the road in Buffalo against a team we thought was going to run away with this division. Instead, now they're in second place looking up at the first place Patriots. Patriots on the road in Buffalo getting three points. Who are you going here? I was kind of back and forth on this game because my, my thinking is I, I, Buffalo has obviously not lived up to where, where we thought they'd be at this point. And I think AFC is wide open, and if you told me to pick one team right now that I think might represent the AFC, I still might take Buffalo just because of the potential, but it just hasn't been there. So in this game, I'm actually going to take the Pats because currently they're at least equal right now, if not New England's better, and this line is saying that Buffalo is better by like half a point to a point. Mm -hmm. So. I'm going to take New England, another low-scoring game. Their defense is just absolutely locked in right now. I think uh, from what I heard, I, I heard that there's going to be some pretty bad weather in this game. I think New England wants to pound the rock. Buffalo can't can't run it at all. So uh, I'm, I'm going to take the points with New England plus three. I hate to tell you, four picks, we agree on three of them. I'm with you. No. I know. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, but I just I can't sit here and pick Buffalo. For all the all the reasons you just mentioned, the Patriots right now are playing one of the, you know, the the best. They're one of the best teams in the NFL right now in the six-game stretch. They're playing clean football. They're turning the ball over a ton. Buffalo has, like you said, has been one of the most, I would say, disappointing teams, even though they're 7-4. and four. They have not lived up to what we thought they would be. Josh Allen has taken a step back in 2021. Now, part of that is what you mentioned, not being able to run the ball. They're a one-dimensional offense. It's now Josh Allen run the ball, Josh Allen pass the ball, Josh Allen make plays for us to win. The defense has, you know, been exposed the last few weeks, especially on the ground. Yeah, I'm with you. I think right now, with the way these two teams are training, I did not look at the weather, which that's why you know your stuff and I don't. 
if it's going to be an ugly, sloppy weather, you know, bad weather game where both teams have to run the ball, I'll take a low-scoring game. I'll take the Patriots plus three. I'll take the Patriots plus three. So four games so far we have picked. We're both on Georgia minus six and a half. You're taking Michigan minus ten and a half. I will take Iowa. We're both on the Steelers plus four and a half. We're both on the Patriots plus three. Not really going with the strategy I told you there, Nick, but hopefully this is the week that everything kind of works out. Here's a game that I think is very, very fascinating. Chargers at Bengals. Chargers playing kind of up and down over the weekend. I don't really know what you're going to get. Bengals right now coming off that big blow, blow win over Pittsburgh. Two games in a row they've won for Cincinnati. Games in Cincinnati, Chargers are getting three points on the road. Who are you going with here? So this almost goes against everything that Ooh. I stand for with hand, handicapping because a lot of times you want to fade the teams that looked great the prior week and you know bet on the teams that looked terrible the week before. And that's exactly what we have here. The Chargers looked absolutely horrific last week and the Bengals had a very impressive game. But I'm going to lay the three with the Bengals. Chargers have the worst run defense in the NFL. Joe Mixon, they've been feeding him the rock. He's been he's been looking great, very healthy. He looks great. And I just think the Chargers, you know, you said Jekyll and Hyde. One week they look great, one week they don't. I just think they're kind of overrated. And this was actually one of my three season-long bets. I took the Chargers under 10.5 wins. That looks Ooh, fantastic. That does. So, uh yeah, it looks like we're going to go three for three on those, not to brag. But, uh, <laughs> I just think that it's a good matchup for the Bengals. I think they're going to pound the rock all day on them. T- terrible run defense for the Chargers. Uh, and I, I think, you know, going into the – you look at their units, talent, you know, in the secondary, they have talent up front. They have talent everywhere. But Herbert, I feel like, is the only one that's really – I got to plug my boy Eckler, but running backs aren't as important. But Herbert's mm-hmm. the one that's really, like, playing well. I feel like they're underperforming almost everywhere season-long-wise. So I, I, I'm going to lay the three with Cincinnati. I hate to tell you, but I agree. And you know what? On track to go three for three on your season-long bets make me feel even better about hitching my wagons to your train here and going with the Bengals as well. To your point, too, it's like not only do the Chargers have the worst run defense in all of the NFL, and now they're going against a guy who just had a career high, 165 yards against the Steelers last week, and Joe Mixon. This is also a team on offense. To your point about Justin Herbert, like he's been playing well. It's like they haven't really either, you know, like run the ball the last, let's say, month or so, to where it's like you look at Justin Herbert. He is third in pass attempts in all the NFL. All the NFL. I believe it's Stafford and Brady, the two, or uh, Brady and Mahomes, I believe, are the two quarterbacks with more pass attempts than than Justin Herbert, he was great in his rookie year, right? And he's been a guy that we kind of gravitate to as a, you know, an up-and-coming young quarterback. But that's still a lot to put on his plate. Even though you have Mike Williams and Austin Eckler and, and Keenan Allen and Jared Cook sometimes when he's, you know, on the field, you find him as a safety valve as a tight end. There's a lot of talent on offense. That's still a lot to put on the plate of a second-year quarterback. I think that's kind of also going into what the Chargers have been in a swoon. Like, they're 2-4 and four in their last six games. To your point, they're even losing. It's not that they're losing. Outside of the Steelers game, their offense has been kind of, you know, up and down, not really consistent. They're losing games to teams like the Vikings they shouldn't be losing to. Even the Patriots, I know that, you know, the Patriots are right now in the midst of a six-game uh, winning streak. Um, but it's like even that game, you're coming out of the bye. That should be a game you win at home. And, and Justin Herbert did not really play that well. I think they're putting too much on his play, and that's the thing where now you look at the Bengals, how well they're playing. It seems to really found great balance on offense. I think it's a dangerous matchup for the Chargers. They don't like them coming across uh, cross country east. The one time they did play in the Eastern time zone, they played, or I guess twice, the one time it was against the, the Ravens, they got blown out, didn't even show up. 
I would take the Bengals here. The hot team at home, minus three. I think they do cover and beat a Chargers team that is the most anemic team in the NFL. So we do agree, oh boy, on four out of the five picks, which means, you know what? 5-0 and oh coming for one of us. Lock it up. Upset special time here, Nick. This is where you really get to move up the leaderboard. Rooks is 6-1 because he crushed his upset special, got it right, got two points. Who are you leaning on this week? Who are you feeling good about? At least keep it close, maybe even get an outright upset victory. So I'm, I'm worried, and coming into this, even before we had four of the five same picks, I was worried that we're going to have the same upset special. Um, so you can, you can let me know. But there actually are a couple big dogs in the NFL that I like this week, but okay. not necessarily to win. So I'm going to take my chances with a game where I like the spread, but I also think the team has a chance to win. And I'm going to go with the Houston Cougars. Uh, plus 10 and a half against Cincinnati. Obviously, Cincinnati's biggest game of their life. Yep. But I'm, I'm going to go. You know, I love Cougars, Hickey. I'm going to go with the Cougars <laughs> plus 10 and a half. Cincinnati, I just think, is super overrated. Yeah. Like, are they deserving of their ranking based on, like, other teams losing stuff? Sure. Are they the third or fourth best team in college football? Absolutely not. I'm sorry. I don't know if you think so or not. They're not. I'm telling you right now, they're not. I don't have much analysis. I can't tell you I've watched a single Cougars game this year. But go Cougs. You're a, an old soul when it comes to music and an old soul when it comes to chasing ladies. You love the Cougars. I love it. It's interesting with Cincinnati. Like, I I will say I agree and disagree. In terms of, like, Cincinnati, Cincinnati is arguably not even a better team this year than they were last year. They have played, you know, struggled against Navy, against Tulane. They're winning these games against really bad AAC teams. So I get what you're saying. At the same time, though, I will say, when you look around the rest of college football, I would say Georgia's up there, Michigan's up there. I mean, outside of that, like, is Alabama really the third best team in the country? Oklahoma State, I like a lot. They're a hot team, so would I, you, I would probably put them ahead of Cincinnati. Outside of that, I mean, you start to look around, like, there's really not many teams that I think in terms of both play-wise and deserving-wise are better than the Bearcats. Like, to your, to your point, are they the best Cincinnati team we've seen in a while? No. Are they the best group of five team we've seen maybe ever? No. But at the same time, this year's been one where a lot of big-time programs are down. You like, I like Ohio State's offense a lot. Maybe you, you'll put them ahead of Cincinnati, but their defense scares the hell out of me. They're one of the few complete teams I think we do have. So we're even though they're not even better than, like you said, you don't think they're better than last year's team, I would agree with there, which I think they are deserving of being the number four team because right now there's just a lot of chaos in college football where no one has really separated themselves outside of Georgia, frankly, um, in terms of being one of the best in the country. But I, loved, I will say, with that said, I love the pick because this is kind of – Similar to what we were talking about with Iowa, Michigan, where you're not looking, you're not overlooking your opponent if you're Cincinnati, right? That's, that's stupid. It's the biggest game of your life. It's the biggest game in Cincinnati football history. But Houston's a really good offense. They'll score. So I like that, that you know, just keep it close. Keep it close. You're getting a high powered offense, 10 and a half points on a neutral site game. Or I guess they're technically in Cincinnati. So I guess I take that back. But I do like it. I will go similar. I'm also going to do something I never do, I don't really like to do, which honestly should make you feel even better. I'm going to double down in Iowa. I'm doubling down on the Hawkeyes. In Indy, plus 10.5. This is, to me, just an emotional roller coaster for, for Michigan where you have one of the biggest wins in program history. I don't think it's being hyperbolic. One of the best wins, biggest wins of Jim Harbaugh's career, maybe outside of the NFC title game to go to the Super Bowl. This was so, you know, so much pressure on Michigan, so much pressure on Jim Harbaugh to win this game. They finally did it. The postgame scene and in Ann Arbor was unreal. The music's blasting. The snow is falling. Every single player and coach looks like they just had, you know, a, a million pound weight lifted off their shoulders. 
Well, now it's like, okay, as soon as you get off the field, you got to refocus and you got to play an Iowa team that's not flashy, that's not sexy, that really you look at the roster, doesn't really have you, you know, fearing anybody. But they play tough, hard nosed football and they live for games like this where they're being overlooked, not only by Michigan, but by national standards here. I think where a lot of people are just putting Michigan in the college football playoff game. This is a bigger game. This is more stakes on it, obviously, than even last week's game. So how important last week was and how much pressure Michigan had. This week is even ratcheted up higher. I think for college kids, 18 to 22-year-olds, like we were both there, that's really tough to refocus and kind of almost forget about the Ohio State win, forget about all the ne- you know the attention that had on this game, forget about it You know, 24 hours later to focus on a new opponent. I think it's tough. Like I said, I do think Michigan's going to win. I think it's going to be a very, very close game. So I will double down on my Hawkeyes pick, 10 and a half, Taking on Michigan, the Big Ten title. I hate, hate doubling up uh, on picks that we also do. But you know what? I just, I, I'm going with the gut here. Usually my gut's been wrong most of the year, so that should feel make you feel better about the Michigan minus 10 and a half. But we're rolling with a team that ruined and ended Penn State season, which I also hate to say, which also just makes this game worse. Like, who are you rooting for? Who am I rooting for? Who are you rooting for? Big Ten title game. Michigan. I don't mind Michigan. I actually, I always, like, kind of had a thing for i don't know why like i even as a penn state like I, I don't know i don't i don't have a problem with michigan i'm a huge harbaugh guy i love harbaugh interesting i don't hate jim harbaugh i think he's an interesting quirky kind of guy for sure it's not like i despise jim I harbaugh him. i've always hated michigan going back to my notre dame days that was always the team i hated even more than usc and obviously going to penn state you transfer that over i guess for me i would feel the same way about ohio state i hate ohio state don't want to see them win but i rooted for them last week to beat michigan if they did beat michigan i probably root for them again here taking on iowa so that's a team where, you know, not exactly, you know, I don't like them, don't get me wrong, but that's a team that I hate to say I do find myself rooting for in, in situations like this where they play big-time games just because I think they're the, the better team, unfortunately, even though Iowa. Now we got now at least I got to root for a team that I think is not very good, don't really like in Iowa, but there we go. That's, that's what having and rooting for a bad football team does, does to, you know, us, Nick. Makes us root for teams we don't really like to root for, which sucks. Absolutely sucks. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for giving us some hot takes when it comes to music. Thank you for agreeing with four of my five picks. It makes me feel good about the direction of where these are coming. And we appreciate you coming on, man. I appreciate you putting an extra hair gel just for me. <laughs> I got a fresh and... cut. I got a fresh <laughs> cut on Tuesday knowing your appearance was coming. I got to make myself look presentable, make myself look good. Beautiful. If I had more time, I'd give you my top five list, but we can do that. Come on, give me, uh, give me your top three. Give me your top three real, real quickly. I have time. All right, uh, top three. This is so far. I'm an Apple Music guy, not not Jeet Spotify. Jeet, come uh, on. Oh, so you don't even know. All right, good, good luck right. guessing. You no, do me no, a favor. No. I, it, it has an updated list. I get an updated list throughout the year. Every day they update it. Okay. But. I still have tw- I still have thirty more days left in the year, but as it stands right now, number one, Roadhouse Blues by the Doors. Ever heard of them? <laughs> okay, that's I've, I've. I don't think I've ever heard that song to be honest, but okay. Stand by REM. Ever heard of them? Told you, it's an old song when it comes to music. All right, what's number three? And, and Rearview Mirror by Pearl Jam. Ever heard of them? Wow. Pearl Jam. Beautiful. REM. Beautiful top three. And what was the other one? The Doors. The Doors. There you go. Versus my top three. <laughs> Come and get your love. Uh, a Zac Efron song in a movie he did about a DJ. That was, was pretty crappy, I'll be honest. The movie sucked. But that song is very catchy. And the Macarena. 
You tell me, America, who has a better top three list and explain to me why it's not Nick. That, that's all I will say about that. Nick, you are the king, king of music, the king of picks. Thank you, buddy, for coming on. We'll have to do it again soon. Yeah, no doubt, man. Yeah, once I'm done with the exams and everything, I definitely got to come on more. I got to say, though, before I go, uh, honestly, dude, you sound awesome on here. You sound awesome. I got to listen on Sirius uh, on CBS radio last week. I got to listen on my Sirius app. You seriously, dude, you sound amazing. I'm really proud of all the work that you put in and everything over the years. I mean, I from when I was doing it and you, you were great then, it's just it's like night and day, man. You were amazing. You really are. We did, in case you didn't know. I guess I didn't mention before. That's a bad job by me. Me and Nick did host a show together uh, in college. Hick and Nick. So if Nick ever decides CPA, being a CPA, being an account is not for me, the co-hosting, the chair is open. The chair is absolutely open for a Hick and Nick reunion because you give me a life outside of sports. I don't know anything outside of sports, obviously music included. And that's what you brought to the table. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I miss it, man. Yeah. I mean, so the people are clamoring for Nick to make a return behind the mic. Maybe one day. Maybe when you retire like 40 years old. How about that? I, I, I'd rather do that than what I'm doing. Maybe I'll get my CPA and still do what you're doing. We'll see. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for you to get the, get the uh, radio deal, and then I'll, I'll swoop in uh, and take your spot. You know what they always say? The best radio hosts are f- former accountants who just, who just study for the last two years to get their CPA and then just pass it and say, all right, I'm out of here. That's always the path for success. Nick, buddy, we'll talk again soon. Thanks again. Thanks a lot for having me on. Thanks, brother. Continue success. That is the King Nick McCool. Don't worry. I did pay him for saying all those nice things about me. The check has already been in the mail. Hopefully it didn't get lost in the mail. Don't worry, Nick. The check is definitely sent, so keep on checking your mailbox. That was very kind. Nick is the man. His music tastes... I mean, look, I just told you my top three and his top three. We all know who has the better music taste there. So we, we appreciate Nick for hopping on, giving us some great picks. We appreciate you for joining us on a Thursday morning, getting set for the last weekend in college football and the week 13 of the NFL. We appreciate all you for tuning in, making us a part of your Thursday morning. We will be back on Monday. Break it all down. NFL, college, who's going to the college football playoff? We will finally have answers. My final prediction, by the way, just to get on the record now, Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State. One through four, those are the four teams we'll be talking about on Monday that do make the playoff. We'll see if we are, are correct on that. We appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk to you on Monday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network.